Sometimes it feels as though I have a key But every time I try it, it won't turn for me Seattle, you've got to love the rain Good morning and welcome to episode 923 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives, brought to you by the Play Index at Baseball Reference and our Patreon supporters. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hey, Ben. Hello. And a special guest. Today we have as our special guest Meg Rowley of Baseball Perspectives. Hi, Meg. Hello. Uh, And um, she's here because... We're going to be talking about um, Jerry Depoto and his offseason. And as most people will recall, nobody – did anybody win the offseason? Was there – there wasn't really a win the offseason last offseason, was there? There wasn't a – The Cubs won the offseason. Oh, that's right. The Cubs did win the offseason. That's true. But uh, Jerry Depoto was the most active. He was, he was being sort of compared to A.J. Preller from the year before for sheer volume of moves. But they were not nearly the same kind of moves. Like A.J. Preller's moves were like – you know, basically could have been based on whose cards were worth the most in a uh, in Beckett baseball card monthly, whereas Depotos were all like kind of moving players because they didn't seem to. Well, I don't know. They they were sort of more role players and uh, building a full team instead of getting uh, you know a great three four five. Anyway, I uh, wanted to go over those again, go over that off season again, and uh, Meg is here to help us. But before we do that, I, I should just make the point that. I know that I, I've been probably, I don't know, I never run out of apologies for Jerry Depoto. Like, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I like him. And it's gotten, I mean, I do kind of feel like maybe it's gotten to the point where I think of Depoto as like an extremely toolsy GM. Like, he's got all the tools, right? Like, he's like a, like everybody likes him and he's high energy and he's, he's into the stat head stuff and he does his own spreadsheets and he's also a former player and he, you know, makes good hires and, and he gives good quotes and he's got all these great tools. Like, if you were building a GM based on tools, uh, he would be it. But the results really have not been there. He had a, you know, a, a run in, in Anaheim that coincides with the biggest waste of a player's prime in, in like in recent history. And, uh, and he, you know, isn't there anymore. And now he has the Mariners and they're, um, sort of falling from the race. So yeah, so that's the basis. I will probably say a good things about Jared Boto, but I, I think that it's probably important that I start interrogating my own, uh, feelings about him. So, so uh, let's go. Should we go? Yeah. All right. So on September 28th, Jerry Depoto was hired. And on October 23rd, he hired Scott Service to be his manager. Scott Service, no managerial experience, a front office guy, also former player, also former backup catcher. So uh, he had all, he had the necessary background in the back, backup catcher part of his career, but not a manager. Uh, so I, um, I, I couldn't tell you a single thing about how Scott Service has been as a manager this year, what his style is like, whether there's generally good reviews or bad, uh, whether he's distinguished himself in any way. So Meg, tell me about Scott Service as a manager. Well, I think, I mean, part of this is always like, how much do we think what the manager does really matters that much? I think in the beginning, he was making some sort of weird choices. The the bullpen management, I think, is what has been um, most 
has come under the greatest fire. That's probably true for every manager everywhere, but um, he's been fine. Uh, I think from a lineup perspective, people have generally been pleased. He's not doing that thing that, that Lloyd did the year before where, you know, he would ignore um, Logan Morrison's terrible, terrible splits and put him in against a guy because he had gone, you know, four for five against him in his career. And we would all sort of groan and be sad. And he's not doing that stuff, um, but the bullpen management's been a little strange. You know, we thought that these guys were going to come in and and with their stat head ways sort of be flexible and be willing to, um, you know, manage the bullpen to the skills they thought they had and be a little bit more creative. And they've been pretty set in their roles. And that's led to, you know, guys like Joel Peralta pitching well, he's not with the Mariners anymore, but when he was pitching really high leverage innings and giving up home runs and then losing ball games for the Mariners. And now we have, um, you know, Joaquin Benoit, who has been pretty shaky this year, I think, to everyone's great disappointment. So it it hasn't been disastrous by any means. And I think that um, he's certainly, you know, he's still learning. He is new to this, but um, it hasn't been quite as smooth as I think anyone was hoping. And given all of the, the talk there was in the offseason about how, you know, analytics minded they were going to be, they still haven't really done as much to be, you know, new or creative or defy set bullpen roles uh, as we were expecting. So I think jury's still out, but it's not great. Has, have there been any embarrassments or any um, scandals or, or controversies? No, not really. I mean, he's, he does seem, I'll, I'll say this, like the, the staff that they've assembled um, seems to connect really, really well with the players. And if we were going to say anything um, positive, I think it, it would be that the culture of that clubhouse seems to have turned around pretty dramatically. You know, we didn't hear about any of the, the big blowups at the time, but from what we've heard after the fact, that wasn't a great clubhouse to be in last year. And, you know, these guys seem to all be rowing in the same direction and um, they've been pretty successful, at least from an outsider's perspective in getting the guys to buy into some of the advanced stat stuff. Um, I think the addition of Manny Acta has really helped in that regard. So there hasn't been the, the feel is good and the players seem to like him and all of those, you know, players are having a good time. Things we like to think about with managers are there, but uh, some of the decisions have been sort of head scratchy. And have you noticed any, or have there been uh, articles or anything of the sort about improved communication between the GM and the manager's uh, perch because that really seems like the most sort of notable thing about this hiring is that rather than hiring a guy that he thought probably would he'd work well with or that he thought probably had a similar philosophy to him Jared Bo hired his like his 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 friend like the guy he's been working alongside and was like well you know I, like it it sort of seemed like it might have especially if it had been wildly successful, it might have heralded in a, you know, sort of radical re-envisioning of, of how you hire your manager and what that relationship is between the manager and his boss. Uh, has it been notable? Has it been visible at all? Um, I mean, they seem to say really nice things about one another. Um, there doesn't seem to be any noticeable tension there. And, you know, everyone in the organization, when they're talking to the the beat guys, will talk about how, how much better the communication is across the board. They don't always talk about um, service and Depoto in particular, but from, you know, the major league club on down, it, it's clear that there's at least unifying principles, um, and that the player development philosophy has been, um, radically reimagined and is much more consistent at every level. So I think the initial reaction is that the communication is really good. I wouldn't be surprised if they're making a point of not making them seem too best friendy. Um, <laughs> yeah. but they seem to get along pretty well and 
say nice things about one another, which, you know, for DePoto must be a nice departure. Speaking of the player development philosophy, I think it was three days before he hired service, he hired Andy McKay, who was the Rockies mental skills coach or peak performance coordinator. And that was kind of an even less conventional move. Mm -hmm. Have there been a lot of articles about how that has dramatically changed things or has improved the player pipeline? They haven't talked about McKay that much publicly, which um, I'm not as surprised by given kind of how he was brought in as like this mental skills guy. And I don't know, I think they kind of want to see results on the field before they start heralding that too much. But I mean, if wins were an indication, the, the system is certainly performing much better than it has in the last couple of years. And you're getting players like you know, Tyler O'Neill was a um, a participant in the Futures game for the Mariners, and he talk, has talked a lot about how, you know, they came in with this control the zone philosophy and they want to reduce strikeouts. And you look across their minor league system last year and you had crazy strikeout rates and just really poor plate discipline. And that was sort of looking like it was going to torpedo the careers of a lot of guys. And a lot of that has started to turn around. And I think some of that credit certainly goes to McKay, but he's sort of puppety and behind the scenes except when he tweets every now and again so what does he tweet oh just that he's always so proud of his guys when they do yeah, well it's and, one of those yeah but i mean he seems to <laughs> one of those guys who's proud of his guys when they do i hate those guys i know those jerks <laughs> last thing on service if he freaky friday'd with walt weiss tomorrow uh would how long would it take before you noticed would you ever notice i don't know that we i don't know yeah now I'm going to look at that every time I watch a Mariners game and wonder if they've switched. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Can I get back uh, to that? Yeah, sure. No. Uh, yeah. Watch watch uh, attentively for the next couple of years, yeah. thinking of almost nothing else, and then give us an answer. All right. So then two weeks later, uh, his first big player personnel move, he trades Danny Farquhar, Brad Miller, Logan Morrison for basically Nate Carnes. Uh, I guess there's two parts to every trade. One is how well the guy does coming back, and the other is how much you miss the guys that were let loose. How At the time, how much did Farquhar, Miller, and Morrison seem like losses to you? Danny Farquhar had pitched terribly, and I hoped he would come back because he just seems like kind of a weird, cool human being, but I wasn't particularly sad to not have him in the Mariners' bullpen anymore. Uh, I was really not sad to see Logan Morrison go. Again, as a player, he had been kind of disastrous for the Mariners in, in 2015 and just didn't really show like he was going to have um, much improvement. And then Brad Miller's been this sort of weird, weird player for Mariners fans for a long time. He was heralded as like this guy who was going to help anchor us in the middle and we weren't going to ever have to worry about shortstop. And then he proved to be pretty error prone and make weird throws and the bat really didn't make up for that. So I wasn't terribly sad to see any of those guys go. I think I was probably the most nervous about Miller just from an insurance perspective because it was clear that we were putting all of the eggs in Cattell Marte's basket. And, you know, he's a young guy and you never quite know how that's going to go. But all in all, I don't know. I wasn't particularly sad to see any of them go. And how um, happy have you been to have Carnes? He is a guy who is not currently on the DL, so that's a point in his favor. But he also hasn't pitched very well. He also, though, does strike a lot of guys out, which will lead people to think that he's on the cusp for longer than he might actually be on the cusp. Does he feel like he's on the cusp? Well, he's not on the DL, but he is in the bullpen right now. So that is a partial answer to your question. I mean, he he flashed well in the beginning. Um, and the first two times through the order, he always looks great. I mean, the fastball is really good. His curveball when it's on is 
kind of devastating and a really fun pitch to watch. But, you know, like clockwork, the third time through the order, every time he'd fall apart, he'd start getting babbipped a little bit and then, you know, walk a guy and then give up a home run. And suddenly you're wondering what happened to the lead that you had. So he hadn't pitched particularly well over the last month. He was doing better in the bullpen. And I think their hope is that he'll kind of get sharpened up there um, and come back to the rotation if, you know, Wade Miley continues to struggle or if the spot starts that they're giving to Mike Montgomery aren't going, you know, the way they want to after the break. But I don't know. I'm glad to have him. I think pitching depth is always good. As you noted, he's not on the DL and the rotation has been a disaster in that regard. I mean, the only guy who started the year as a starter who isn't Nate Carnes in the bullpen, who has not done any time on the disabled list is Iwakuma who, you know, of course we all thought would be the most injury prone to the lot. So, okay. So then I'll, I'll, I think maybe we'll circle around and just give a plus minus on all these at the end and see what his grade is or whatever the case may be. But, um, for now, rather than, uh, giving judgment, let's go to the next one. A week later, he traded, uh, some spare parts for Joaquin Benoit. Uh, Benoit was, uh, one of really, I mean, really one of the very few truly elite relievers in baseball over the previous, um, three years, maybe even five years. And the most sort of notable thing about acquiring him was how quickly they said he wasn't going to close, uh, which felt weird because he uh, has closed in the past and he certainly has been as good as most teams closers over recent, uh, over the recent years. And the Mariners at the time didn't have a closer. Uh, and so it was kind of weird that they proactively, uh, ruled that out. Uh, but then, um, uh, lo and behold, he's been, uh, both, uh, injured and bad. Injured a little bit, right? And then also generally bad. And so is there anything uh, that, like, beyond well relievers uh, that you can say about Joaquin Benoit being terrible? I mean, it's mostly well relievers. I think he's probably been, I don't want to speculate, but I will irresponsibly, in fact, speculate that he has probably been more hurt for longer than we knew. Uh, He was dinged up a little bit in spring training, and then he went on the DL not long after the season started. So I think you know, he might have some lingering stuff from that. Hopefully he'll be able to to regain form, but he's like that really terrible reliever combination of bad home run prone and really slow between pitches right now. So mm. he is not in, you know, endearing himself to the Mariners fan base by any means. Um, those innings are long and they feel long. So I hope he turns it around in the second half, but so far it's been a disappointment. If you were to, for no reason but cherry picking, if you were to exclude 2014 from history, uh, his walk rate would have gone up every year since 2010. And it is this year three and a half times what it was in 2010 and double what it was in 2012. Yeah, that that feels right. I mean, it feel, feels terrible, to be clear, but it feels right. <laughs> uh, did DePoto say anything when he was building this bullpen about wanting guys with different looks? That was one of the things that always fascinated me about his tenure in Anaheim, when he seemed to want to collect one of every kind of reliever. Like he wanted a side armor from the right side and a side armor from the left side and an over-the-top guy and a submariner, and he just wanted everything because he seemed to believe and maybe he had something to back this up that when you would bring in someone and then bring in someone who looked completely different, it would disorient the batters. Did he do that more so than, than most teams do, do you think? 
Uh, I think he did. I think that it appears to be part of the the plan, at least for the bullpen construction. The problem that he ran into with that is that you probably still need some guys who can throw pretty hard, and um, he didn't have them because of injury for a while. So Tony Zick was sort of the, the hardest throwing guy we had. He had a really good fastball, and then he got hurt and went on the disabled list. And until they called up Edwin Diaz, they really didn't have that like devastating heater guy. So he collected a lot of different things, but then the differences sort of all merged together when some of the more traditional um, reliever types got filtered out because of injuries. So then you just had this band of misfits. We were sort of wondering when the other shoe was going to drop and June ended up being that time. (laughs) Right. All right. Uh, Four days later, I think the first sort of trade that everybody kind of universally praised was uh, trading Tom Wilhelmson, James Jones, and what, Patrick Kivlahan? Is that yes. his name? Patrick? Patrick, okay. For Leonis Martin. And Martin was a poor hitter, but an elite defender, according to pretty much all metrics, uh, when they acquired him. And this year, the metrics say, eh, he's okay. And he still doesn't hit much. So I don't know how disappointing he is, uh, I suppose, in comparison to what they gave up. Uh, he doesn't really have to do much. Todd, Tom Wilhelmson is back with the Mariners even, uh, after. So is Patrick Kivlihan. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a pretty good, it's a pretty good strategy. <laughs> yeah. They essentially got Leonis Martin and his, his elite arm in center field for James Jones. Ben, have I ever told the story on this podcast about my friend in the 1990 Leaf, John Olrude? Sounds sort of familiar, but I don't know if it was on the podcast, so go ahead. This card had a crease right down the middle that uh, you could only see from a certain angle. And so he (laughs) traded it like 30 times. And then as soon as he traded it, he'd be like, well, I never thought I'd get rid of that card because of that crease. And then the guy'd be all mad and go, I'll give you something cheap if you want to. And then he'd get it back. It was like his, it was like his golden goose. Uh, All right. Uh, So anyway, uh, Martin, good or bad at baseball? So I think good-ish. I mean, I think as will happen when you're a fan of a team and you only see their defense on the broadcast, like I think his defense in center field has been pretty good or it feels like it's been pretty good, which probably is an indication that it's less good than I think. The arm is crazy. I mean, that much I will say. Um, his, His arm is insane. And every now and again, a runner will forget about that and just look completely silly. And that part is fun, especially when you've had well, for example, James Jones in center field as a Mariners fan. So um, I think he's been he's been disappointing of late. He was really on a tear um, before he went on the disabled list with a tight hamstring. He uh, he was suddenly a power hitter, which he's never been before. Um, he has 11 home runs on the year. So he he was sort of rediscovering or discovering anew this great new swing and he was making everyone feel good by saying that Edgar helped him find it. And then he went on the DL and he has given back all of those gains. Um, He is still sort of in the leadoff spot and the speed still plays, but it, it looked like it was going to be this sort of revelation, this great, amazing trade. And I think on, on balance, it probably still swings in the Mariners favor, but it hasn't looked as um, fun and shiny the last couple of weeks as it did before he went on the disabled list. So every the fa- uh, you know fans of every team will at some point say um, you know talking about their team's prospects you know two or three years down the line they'll go well you know we've got and then they'll name four players and they'll go that's a pretty good core we could win with a core like that is Martin good enough to be in a core 
Um, he might be good enough for the Mariners to be in a core. I mean, if you look at the outfield prospects, well, if you look at any of the prospects in the Mariners system, I mean, that that cupboard is pretty close to bare. So I think that he he's, at least from a defensive perspective, if he continues to play like he is, he's at least good enough for the next couple of years until um, DePoto can sort of replant the farm. But no, I mean, the bat's never going to be elite, and at some point the speed will go, and then you're looking at a guy who has a really good arm but probably isn't good enough for center field. But I think that's probably a ways down the road. And as I said, right now they got him for James Jones, so yeah. they'll, they'll roll with that. All right, um, so then three days later, no, seven days later, one week later, uh, he goes and re-signs, well, for him re-signs, for the Mariners just signed Chris Iannetta, uh, who started out really hot, had a bunch of home runs, and over the last 61 games has hit 206, 290, 328. It's like double the OPS of the 2015 Mariners, for what it's worth. <laughs> double the OPS? Double? <laughs> Probably. Sam, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so he's got a thing for Chris Ionetta. Does it feel like a um uh like an like an illness right now? Does it feel pathological? Well, I mean it's so at least at the beginning of the year it, it felt like it was better than or it seemed better than, you know, forcing Mike Zanino to go through another tour of terror at the major league level that he clearly wasn't ready for. I mean I don't know. I think Ionetta is a perfectly fine placeholder. Hopefully the bat improves a little bit. It was good enough for a minute there. Um I think you have to think about how bad the catcher situation was for the Mariners last year to truly appreciate how this can seem like an upgrade. Um, I mean, I am a Mike Zanino apologist. His framing is wonderful. I will always have a weird affection for him, but he was a three-pitch strikeout guy a lot of the time last year, and Chris Iannetta is not that. So if nothing else, he at least you know will work the count like a professional hitter would. But they've talked about how he definitely needs more days off. Um, Steve Clevenger, who was the backup, is on the 60-day DL, I think, at this point with a broken hand. Um, he took a foul ball off his hand and now has like three screws in his hand, which sounds terrible. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of Mike Zanino in the second half just so that they can get someone competent from a defensive perspective up there and hope that the gains that he has made in AAA kind of stick. But it's better than it was, which is an indication of how bad it was last year. But given what was available on the catcher market, it's probably fine. I will say it feels like the Mariners give up at least two stolen bases every game. I know it's not quite that bad, but they are not holding runners on. And Ionetta's arm is not a small part of that. I mean, part of it is, you know, the pitchers that the Mariners have on staff, but um, it hasn't really cost them terribly yet. Uh, but at some point you imagine it'll come back and bite them. He just, he can't hold anyone on. Their pitchers don't help. And at some point it's going to cost them probably against the Astros if I had to hazard a guess. Ionetta's framing has totally tanked as I'm sure that you know because I know you check framing stats more often than anyone and he was like the framing success story yeah. last season because he had always been terrible at it and then he devoted himself to getting better at it and he did and he was good according to all the stats and now he is the worst in the major leagues again. <laughs> so yeah. It's especially bad. I mean, I would need to do actual research into it to see how much it's affecting the the staff, but um, he seems at least 
for me, as you said, as a person who pays attention to that and watches it a lot on broadcast, he's especially bad low in the zone, which, um, you know, when Felix wasn't on the DL was particularly frustrating. There are a lot of reasons that Felix was struggling in the first half. It's not just Ionetta's framing, but he he has really struggled this year. And the, the one or two games that Zanino has actually been up this year, you can see the difference. And that's not always something that you can tell when it comes to framing, but um, especially low in the zone, it's been not great. All right. So then nine days later, he trades Mark Trumbo for Steve Clevenger. Uh, you do need backup catchers. So I guess that's a, a clear win. Well, <laughs> uh, well, Jesus Sucre was broken. His leg was broken badly. Yeah. So they did not have one. Trumbo is, I mean, Trumbo is like the flip side of Ionetta, right? Whenever DePoto takes over a new team, he trades Trumbo and signs Ionetta. So did, like, did, was there any feeling among non-Depotans in Seattle that Trumbo was, was actually good at baseball? So it was a weird thing last year because, I mean, the fielding was terrible. The fielding is still terrible. And it was, it was obviously bad. Um, but apart from the first month that he was on the Mariners, he actually was hitting pretty well. Um, you know, he, he did all right. The, I think the part of, no one thought he was good, but they thought he might be good enough for first base, right? He shouldn't be in left field or right field or anywhere in the outfield. But if you were allowed to just play first base, it would probably be fine. I think the part of this that has frustrated um, Mariners fans is that it felt a lot like pure salary dump. And part of it, as you said, is just that Depoto doesn't seem to be particularly fond of Mark Trumbo. And I don't think we can fault him for not predicting that Trumbo would lead the majors in home runs. But it felt an awful lot like they were just trying to get out from under the $9 million that he was likely going to be due in arbitration, which, you know, is a decision that all teams make all the time. But it just yep. didn't feel like it was motivated as much by the player as it was him being told he couldn't spend that money. Okay. So then the day after that, by the way, would Trumbo have a place? Trumbo, yeah, he would have a place on this team. Because the thing about Trumbo is that you, even if you love him, uh, you still have to either have a place for him or do something that uh, you're likely to regret, which the Orioles have chosen to do. They've chosen to let him hold a glove, uh, even though they know that there are, not, there are days they're going to regret him. But the Mariners actually could have used him. They had spots for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, so then the next day they sign Nori Aoki, which I believe Ben probably named the move of the offseason. Uh, he's been horrible. Yeah, you want that one back, Ben. <laughs> no, I still believe. Two, We've got two, half a season left. 245, 323, 313. He does lead baseball in caught stealings oh, yeah. with, with, with four stolen bases to his name. He's He's got four stolen bases. And he leads baseball in caught stealings. Uh, and he's been sub-replacement. And so uh, how many, I don't know, how many games will he play the rest of the way? Tearing it up in Tacoma. He, I mean, he, yeah, he's doing well in Tacoma. Um, I don't know. I think probably more than anyone will want him to, sadly. Um, we can talk about how active we think the Mariners will be at the deadline. I know you guys talked about that yesterday. But um, I don't know that they have a lot of better options for left fields. They've been trotting out, you know, Sean O'Malley and Daniel Robertson and, you know, dudes of that ilk. And I don't think that anyone wants to see them in full-time service sort of to relieve the Gutierrez and Seth Smith platoon. So I think we probably will see him again, but, you know, they, they made a point of calling up Daniel Robertson and letting him start games that mattered for the team going into the break and they left Nori down there. So I don't know how 
uh, he, he might not be in the good graces of the organization right now. This, the cot stealings, they're like really bad cot stealings. They're not just you're out by a little bit. You're out by like a foot and a half and you wonder what they ever saw kind of cot stealing. So it's been, it's been a rough go. Four days later, Roannis Elias and Carson Smith for Wade Miley. Elias has done his part by basically torching his entire career. And Carson Smith has done his part by getting injured almost immediately and um, hardly pitching at all. But Wade Miley has uh, also been quite bad. He's got an ERA of about five and a half. Also, though, not on the DL. So is he bringing anything to this team? And and did you... I remember thinking that it's rare for the best player in a trade to be the reliever, especially the non-closer reliever. But I remember thinking that it felt like it was selling very low on a guy who looked like, uh, again, like one of the eight or nine best relievers in baseball. Uh, but there were also some bad indicators with Carson Smith's velocity and uh, mechanics and things like that. Was there a feeling that um, it wasn't as bad to trade him as maybe those generalists uh, among us might have thought? I think it was definitely the most controversial trade that DePoto made all offseason, probably the most controversial move he made all offseason. And there were a lot of people, you know, who are sort of close observers of the team who really didn't like it. I think they acknowledged that there was a, you know, real need on the team for starting pitching and that they were not going to go out and spend big money on any of the, you know, elite uh, options that were available. So it, it sort of seemed like one of those things that they had to do something. And um, I think we kind of all hoped that Wade would do better in Safeco rather than having to pitch in Fenway and, you know, maybe like things would improve and it would be fine. And he's had a couple starts that were good. He actually did do some time on the DL because he's a Mariner starter. Um, but he has not looked particularly sharp since he came back. He's a warm body and I think he's still probably a fine back of the rotation guy sometimes, but I would prefer it be someone else. And, you know, it might end up being Mike Montgomery. So if the Mariners somehow make the playoffs, Miley is not starting a game, correct? I can't. I, not unless something catastrophic happens. So I think if you, yeah, I think if you trade anybody, any real ball player for a starter and he can't start a postseason game for you, that you lost the trade, I think. Yeah. Uh, all right. Two days later, trades some spare parts for Adam Lind, uh, who's, I watch, uh, I watch baseball tonight for the home runs uh, every night, and I don't think I've heard Adam Lind's name very often, so he must not be doing very well. <laughs> You know, weirdly, he has like 13 home runs. <laughs> yeah, my uh, dumb joke. My dumb joke. I'm sorry. Failed on um, but you're not wrong that he hasn't been playing particularly well, if that makes you feel better. I mean, his... He has a 261 on base percentage. Yeah, like his slash line is a disaster. <laughs> um, he, I don't know, he's he's fielding an okay first base. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, it, it's weird. It's a weird thing. Because he has done so much better over the course of his career. And I don't mean like four years ago. I mean like last year. And the year before and the year before. Three straight three straight really good years. Yeah. So you would think, you know, that he, he seemed like such a good, common sense, reasonable acquisition at the time, right? Like we knew that, he, that we needed a starting first baseman because Logan Morrison plays for Tampa now and he's done so well and you know, the power numbers are good. And I thought that that would be able to sort of shield him from some of the safe effect stuff. And it, it just, it hasn't been good. He's been hitting better of late. So the announcers for the team are doing that thing that announcers always do going into the all-star break where they say, 
you know, we think Adam Lynn's going to heat up in the second half and he's ready to go on a tear. And I, I hope he does because it's been, it's been a real mess and he's not making much of a case to split playing time from Deho Lee if his um, last month does not carry forward into the second half. Uh, five days later, he uh, signed Steve Ciszek because Joaquin Benoit is nobody's idea of a closer. Uh, and Ciszek, uh, let's see, has a he has an okay ERA for a closer. You know, a decent closer ERA, but not a great one. Uh, saved his first nine games, and then uh, apologies for going this saves and blown saves, but has blown five uh, in the last two months. And even that, like, it's hard to know how much that means. And so I will use what I consider better data. The other day when he was facing the Royals with like a like a one or a two run, I think a one run lead in the ninth, the Mariners broadcasters uh, just didn't seem that confident. Like when he came in, like they were talking about the blown saves. And uh, you don't normally expect that from the home team broadcast um, when the closer comes in to nail one down. So there was there's a feeling, it seems to me, that Steve Ciszek is shaky. Yeah, I, I think that that sense at least over the last month, has been an accurate one. I mean, the problem that he has had is that he's been home run prone, and the Mariners have played a lot of one-run games um, this season generally, but in the last you know month or two in particular. And so it's proven to be pretty problematic that um, he can't seem to not give up a home run. Um, I think that he is falling victim a little bit to that thing that all fan bases do, which is that hardly any of them actually like their closer and think that he is worse than he is. Um, but it, it'll definitely be something to watch. I think he's still an effective reliever, but if they can think maybe a little more creatively about his usage, I wouldn't necessarily hate seeing him in lower leverage situations, but I don't know who the better option is on this team right now, unless you want to press Edwin Diaz into the closer role, which seems like a pretty uh, risky thing to do. So I don't know. He's better than 2015 Fernando Rodney. He's much worse than 2016 Fernando Rodney. So he's a closer. All right. Iwakuma. I don't even. I don't even know how to assess Iwakuma. Like another team signed him, literally signed him, and then he ended up a Mariner. And it's like, eh, okay. And they they announced it at the Mariners like staff Christmas party. Like Jerry Depoto came out at the Christmas party and announced to all the team employees that they had managed their way back into Hisashi Iwakuma and it was sort of this great moment. And then he's had this very weird kind of up and down season. So yeah, I think not quite knowing how to assess him is fair. He's definitely not been as sharp as he has been in prior years. You know, he was never going to overwhelm you with his fastball and he's just not been as careful or able to command the zone as we've seen from him in years past. So I don't, I don't quite know. He's also been really important to this pitching staff because he hasn't been on the DL. He's making all his starts and he's been one of the only guys in the last month who's been able to go deep into games. I mean, we've had as fans this experience of knowing that our starters that are probably, or the team starters are not going to go that deep into the game and Kuma manages to, you know, throw seven most of the time. So I mean, I'm glad he's here <laughs> as a fan. Uh, yeah. I'd rather would, see him than I don't know more Wade Miley. Assuming everybody got, assuming everybody was healthy, if the Mariners made the playoffs, would Iwakuma start in the postseason, or would it be Hernandez, Paxton, Walker, and maybe now Montgomery, or they would go out and trade for somebody? I think that he probably would get a start because I think that you know 
there's a reason that Mike Montgomery ended up in the bullpen to start the year. Um, he certainly has looked he looked sharper in the one start he got against the Royals, but I think Kuma would would probably end up pitching one playoff game. It might not it might be the one you're the least confident about winning as a fan, but I think he probably would pitch one. All right, and then uh, a whole month passes, and then he makes uh, the last big move of the offseason. He signs Deho Lee, who uh, we talked about uh, because he had all the home runs and none of the doubles, uh, but surely he's a more well-rounded baseball player than that. Uh, what has the Deho Lee experience been like? I haven't seen a fan base respond to a player, especially a part-time player like this, in Seattle in a very, very long time. He is beloved. You are right that he was just hitting only home runs. He now has four doubles. We're, we're very proud of him. Um, he is the slowest baseball player. I have watched a Mariners uniform in years. There was a moment a couple of weeks ago where Manny Acta hilariously sent him home and he was thrown out by about a foot and a half, but we all wanted it for him so badly. I'm willing to have Manny send him again because if he ever gets that, it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened. Um, He's he's been uh, as a hitter really solid. He doesn't have much of a split. There was concern early on that he wasn't going to be able to handle the major league fastball. He's been doing great at that to the point that pitchers are starting to throw in more breaking stuff because he's been crushing fastballs. Um, he has fielded first base much better than I thought he would. I mean, he's not athletic by any means, but he's not embarrassing either. And he's one of those guys that has sort of endeared himself to the entire team. Robinson Cano is teaching him English. He's he's a great, wonderful story. And if he keeps hitting home runs and hitting well, um, I think people will, will continue to respond to him. He's not walking much at all, which I think is, is concerning to people. And he's one of those guys where if you get if he hits a single and you have two outs, you better hope that the hitters behind him are going to be able to move him over a single at a time because there's no speed. But they do a big Deho chan at Safeco. He has a cheering section. He's probably the feel good signing of the offseason and he's been a pretty good hitter. Many, many Deho Lee inspired t shirts as well, correct? So many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> a lot of puns. Mm-hmm. A lot of puns. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's tally it up. Give me just a pass-fail for each of these, and um, and we'll, we'll tally it at the end. Um, Scott Service hired as manager. Uh, can I say incomplete? Sure, uh, but you can, you can say incomplete at most one more time. Okay, fair enough. All right, Farquhar, Miller, Morrison for Carnes. Pass. Uh, oh, wow, really? Yeah. Interesting. What's Logan Morrison doing right now? Yeah, Brad Miller's a league average hitter. That's Can't shocking. Feel. Cannot field. All right. Bear parts for Joaquin Benoit. Eh, Fail right now. Okay. Uh, Wilhelmson, et cetera, for Leonis Martin. Pass. Uh, Sign Chris Iannetta. Pass. What? He's he's minus one and a half wins by baseball prospectus. Wins, not runs. Catcher was so bad. It was so bad. It was comically bad. There are other teams that signed catchers, though. Maybe not a ton of them. No, I mean, like, it's, it, we could have gotten, what were the other options on the free agent catcher market? They weren't, they weren't that different than Chris Iannetta. Yeah, uh, probably not. There, uh, I'm trying to think of anybody. Uh, Saltalamachia was available. Not many. It's true, not many. Matt Weeders? No, he wasn't available. Yeah, not many. All right, so fine. They could have traded for Buster Posey. I mean, I would be the most obnoxious human being on Twitter if, 
the Mariners had Buster Posey, so it's to everyone's benefit that they did not do that. I bet it was coming off two average seasons by PP stats, so... Well, we're not, I'm not, we're not we're, failing. We're not failing on process. We're failing on results. Okay, purely on outcome. All right. Yeah, because process, simply by being Jerry DePoto, he succeeded every day <laughs> in my grading. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, uh, Trumbo for Clevenger. Fail. You breathed as though you had to think about that. No, I just, I, I just, I have continued resentment that Mark Trumbo was ever a Mariner to begin with, so that's why. All right, sign Aoki. Fail. Carson Smith for Wade Miley. And incomplete. Acquire Adam Lind. I mean, fail for right now. All right, sign Steve Ciszek. I'm going to say pass. And sign Deholi. Pass. All right, so we got, you are very generous. You are a junior college teacher. <laughs> All right, I mean, so I can I can switch some of them, but he's five and four with two incompletes. <laughs> Jerry Depoto he won the off season. I can't change. I can't change Ionetta. I just can't. Like the idea of of poor, sad, broken Mike Zanino getting full time catcher duty again. Just it it was not a tenable situation. I on it is a very Mariners pass, but it is a pass. All right, there we go. Ben, how do you uh, how do you grade the grader? I think Jack Sorensic's having a great year. He really is. I mean, like you look <laughs> at the Mariners, and they're a pretty good team because of a lot of Jack Sorensic moves. Like Montgomery was a Sorensic move, and Cano, Cano is killing, Seager, and Cruz. Cruz is killing. And I was talking about this with Dubuque. We we were wondering Harris, we have we have to maybe look back with less anger because there are really good pieces here and some of them are on deals that are actually with the exception of Cano not really stupid so maybe we were a little we were a little harsh maybe 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 I did by the way skip over Nick Vincent and Joel Peralta I think those would be a wash I skipped over uh, Evan Scribner I like that he went and got Brad Mills and Efren Navarro like I because those are sort of like completely pointless angels from his tenure too and I just like him. I like GMs that acquire. Like to me, that shows a uh, you know the courage of your convictions. Yeah, he feels he feels strongly about things. We'll give him that. Yeah. All right. That's all. Thanks, Meg. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we will leave it there. You can find Meg's work at Baseball Prospectus, and you can also find her on Twitter at Meg Rowler. You can support our podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Today's five listeners who have already pledged their support are Nathan Mealy, Dan Irving, William Panara, Tom Dwyer, and Noah Way. Thank you. You can buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Go to our website at theonlyruleisithastowork.com for more information. And if you've finished the book and you liked it, please leave us a review on Amazon and Goodreads. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash effectivelywild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. You can email us. We'll be doing an email show tomorrow. So send us your questions at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. We will be back then. But it's still Same song. 
every single home run was Berman being like, maybe it'll go 500 feet. And it's like, maybe you shouldn't have a job anymore. We all have questions. <laughs> Sorry. I just can't, can't with him anymore. Feeling sassy, I guess. Let's talk about the Mariners then. 